invite you just for a moment just to let's just offer him the words that that we know to give him in worship if, if he is if he's loving to you if he's faithful to you whatever it whatever it is let's just find language in our own hearts just to offer him adoration we just confess you as the one who is faithful, the one who is true to all that he says, the one who embodies truth. God, there with you there is no shifting or shadow. You're consistent. You're constant. You're steadfast. You're the rock beneath our life. God, we recognize you as the one who is holy one who is above all things, in all things, through all things. We recognize that there's nothing else in creation like you. God, I pray that we won't just recognize these truths of you, God, but that we would recognize that as the psalm said, that you are watchful over us, God. That you're present with us. It's your work in every space, that you're at work in every part of our lives. You don't sleep on us, God. God, you, you're not only universally faithful, you're individually faithful to every person in this room. The truths about your nature aren't metaphysical realities that we can explain. They're experiential to our daily existence, God. God, so we confess that you're faithful. We confess that you're faithful to us, God. We confess that you're constant to us, God. God, all things that you are, you're eternally them, God. We don't have to guess where you stand. You always stand in the side of love. You always stand in the side of goodness. So God, for every person in this place, Lord, I pray that they would recognize that you stand in the camp of love with us, God. God, I pray that you would obliterate the doubt that you might not be loving. That you would destroy the thought that you might not be good. 
God, that you would untether any other idea than you are eternally merciful to us, God. That the truth of your nature would free us from the deceptions that that we've bought into, God. God, I pray tonight as we share, as we receive, as we listen, as we pray, as we minister, as we sing, God, that we would be encountering the unfolding majesty of who You are, God. That we would be provoked with wonder, the mystery of who You are, God. That our souls would deepen, that our souls would expand to love, God. God, I pray that You would waken us, God. That we would be attentive to all things that You're speaking. God, let there be a tangible awareness of the Spirit of wisdom and revelation in this room, God. Let us encounter Your Gospel not as a set of abstract truths, but as the embodiment of a person named Jesus that we're on this journey with. Our Lord and Brother. So we invite You, Holy Spirit, quicken our spirits to You, God. Let us hear Your words tonight. Let us discard anything that's not You. Awaken us to Your glory, Lord. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. How many thankful for Jesus tonight? Um, we started on this song, Ancient Doors. What's the song called? Weight of Glory. Weight of Glory. I love that song. It's probably one of my favorite songs. Um, we were uh, we were singing it, and Toby was singing. I was listening to him practice, and we're talking about you know this this idea of the weight of God's glory resting upon us. And I had the thought for a second. I was like, Do I really want that? The weight of God's glory. Kind of imagine myself being crushed into like this infant infinitesimal bit of matter, you know, like a black hole or something, like God's weight just obliterating you. And, um, you know, God speaks to Moses. He's like, I'm not going to let my full glory pass by you because why? Does anybody know why? Because he's going to kill us. And so I was sitting there thinking about this. I was like, do we really want to pray that prayer? The weight of your glory. And I was brought back to when I was a teenager, I got certified to scuba dive. How many of you ever scuba dived before? Okay. So, like nobody. Kevin, that's it. Um, and uh, when you get certified to scuba, you have to go through all of like the technical uh, instructions of kind of how you deal with the whole... Anyway, there's a... one The, ma- the major... Um, thing you have to learn is that at at like sea level we have what is called 
um, there's a measurement called one atmospheric pressure. And so there's, there's a certain kind of pressure that the weight of our, uh, you know, our air and you know, all of that puts on us, and that's called one atmospheric pressure. And so um, as you go down, 33, every 33 feet, it increases in atmospheric pressure. So at 33 feet, it is double what uh, it double the the pressure that is at the surface, and at 66 feet it's triple, and at 99 or 99 feet it's quadruple, and so there's a there's a lot of things that are that are affected by this. Um, you have to be careful coming back up because theoretically, and I don't know how all this works, but theoretically, if you're at 99 feet, it's like you're breathing in four times the amount of nitrogen and oxygen. And so if you ascend to the surface too fast, have you ever heard of this thing called the bends or decompression sickness? You get what's called decompression sickness because, because your body can't handle the transition to the, of the nitrogen levels um, as you're ascending. And so you have to do this thing where you ascend in stages. You move up 10 feet and you you, you hang out for a few minutes, and you move up 10 feet, and you hang out for a few minutes. But one of the things that happens, that one of the most essential things that you do in scuba diving as you go down is you put pressure on the, on the inside of your ears, like you do, you kind of blow with, with your nose like this, and it equalizes the pressure that you have inside your eardrums as the kind of pressure that you have outside your eardrums. Do you get? Does this make sense? So the pressure is increasing, and you blow air into your ears, and that increases the pressure so that there is an equilibrium. And I was sitting there thinking about this, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, God, this is the way it works with you." And that what you really want to do is that you want to expand the glory that is within us, so that you can increase the glory that's around us. As the glory of God comes in our lives, as we become full of the Holy Spirit, God is able to bring His favor upon us in a way that it's visible around us. But if He, if he just took you to the depths right away, it would, it would destroy you. Because the weight of it is just... Like this works in nature. But this also works with God's favor. And that God takes people through processes so that He can deepen the Spirit of God within Him so that the Spirit of God can rest upon them. And there's only one thing that can counteract the weight of God on you, and that's, the, that's God's weight, like the weight of God within you. Like your character can never be shaped in such a way that you can stand in the glory of God. But it's because of the blood of Jesus, because of His righteousness, because of His Spirit deposited within you, that one day that we will stand before Him face to face and that we can come boldly before Him now. Like He actually brings us into the, into the ability to be able to do what um, could not be done by man. To come into His presence. And I really believe this is a prophetic word for people right now. I just I was sitting there thinking, I was like, this is there's something um, to be released. Is that God wants to expand the favor and glory on your life, but that comes 
from the glory increasing within. And so, take it for what it is. Um, so, I want to take a moment. One of, the, one of the goals of this year that I have personally as a pastor is to be more reiterative in, in like vision and in like the, in explaining, articulating the identity of what God's calling us to as a community. And so I'm going to take a little moment and talk about what God's calling us to. And when we did, when we went through the transition that we went through as a church, how many of you are here three years ago when we took the transition that we had? Um, pretty much most of you. And um, during that time, we were having a, a Sunday morning service and we're having various ministry activities. And we, the church went through a transition where we made an attempt to prioritize things that we had not made as necessarily... Pri- they, had been a, they had been a part of our community, but they hadn't been priorities of our community. And so we wanted to prioritize... Um, you know, meeting in the homes, and we called that house church. And we we went through this you know time where we uh, uh, where we had house churches on Sunday morning, and we and we've had you know service on Sunday nights. And one of the things that God spoke in that time to, to me, I remember we we actually we put three things up that we wanted to focus on. The three things were His presence, was His community, and His gospel. And we wanted these things to be played out in a way in our community that they were visible and tangible. But the word the Lord gave me personally, and I are, we are talked about this, I think, was the word the Lord gave me personally was that it would be it would be two years before we would even begin to understand what we were doing. How many of you remember me saying that? And so this last year, I, we began reflecting on that. That thought, God, what can you help us begin to understand what we're doing here? Because <laughs> I'm kind of in the dark. And so there, this 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 last year, there were some adjustments that we made. Um, I, at the you know during the summer, we made a decision to pause the activities of house church because we had gotten the sense that a couple things. We got the sense that at least some of the leaders were at this point leading out, I don't want to say like this on everybody, but at least we felt we wanted to relieve people of leading out of obligation. And secondarily, we felt like people needed some rest. And so we paused the activities of house church in the summer for a period of time, and then we invited people over to our home during the fall, and we talked about house church being... Um, you know, starting up as we have. How many of we were in a house church this last week? It was awesome. There was a whole. We had a whole bunch of people in, in house church this last week. And so, so anyway, we, uh, you know, we 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 sort of walked through those careful adjustments. One of the things that we learned that, you know, we've maybe maybe a mistake or a misunderstanding of the way God works is that. I think what we tried to do in the in following God a few years ago was we tried to build a church rhythm that would essentially like manufacture the Christian life for every person in this room. We're going to 
we're going to make it easy for you to do the gospel part of this, the prayer part of this, the community part of this, and we're going to build it all into our church rhythm. And pretty much you're going to be with your church five days a week. Like, and that didn't last very long. And I think one of the things that we have learned is that this is something that God, not just learned, but God has specifically spoken to us as a value that we're learning, we're still learning to how to articulate this value, is that we do not, as a church, want to manufacture the Christian life for you. What we would like to do is to look at the kingdom, to look at what's valued in the kingdom, and to have a seed of all of that embedded into the rhythms and values of this community so that we can empower you to play that out into fullness in your life. And so at the beginning of this year, uh, how many of you are there the week that I talked about this word fullness? We, we, um, we talked about this word fullness as a word that sort of identifies the journey that we've been on as a community. Now, some of the times when we're vision casting, we're talking about in church settings, you've probably been in these meetings before, we're talking about going to go do something that's somewhere far away that we're not currently doing. But I think that all really good vision starts with seeing not just what can be, but what is. And so... We've, we, looked, we looked at, like, okay, what is the journey that this community's been on? And I really genuinely believe that the journey this community has been on together since, we, since day one is that we have been a people who's not necessarily perfect or has it all figured out, but is looking for fullness, right? I mean, you know, the Scripture talks about, I'm looking for a city whose builder maker is God. Like, that might be taken way out of context in this moment. But the language of that resonates. It's like, man, I, we are, we're looking for fullness in our hearts and our lives. And so, so we want to continue on that journey. As we uh, relaunch House Church, we, we decided one of the adjustments that we decided we needed to make in continuing to go down the, the path that God uh, has, has for us is that we realized like having two things on the same day while it might have worked at one point in our society, like it's, it just wasn't working. And, and it just wasn't conducive for the rhythms of life that, that exist currently. Now, I want to say this. I don't think that everything we should do should be about being conducive to the culture. That, that, there's always a danger of being too that, that way. And then there's also... There's also a danger of not seeing what is. Because God met people where they were at too. And so you weigh both of these truths as a leader. And so we, we last few months we've talked about this and sort of come. We're like, several people have actually mentioned this to us. We're like, okay, now that we're having this like midweek house church time, like, was Sunday night. Why are we meeting on Sunday night? And so we, we decided that we are going to make a shift to move our service to Sunday morning, and we're going to start that on Easter. And we're going to have a um, planning on having a 10.30 a.m. service a little bit earlier than a few years ago. But I want to be really specific. Um, we aren't trying to go back to something old. 
We're trying to continue on the journey that God has for us. Does this make sense? This isn't about getting back to the good old days. <laughs> this is about following God. And at some point, like, even if God doesn't speak to me, like, and I feel like he has spoken to me directly, but, but at some point when I'm listening to people and multiple people are saying, hey, well, this would be good or we, I would like this, it's like, okay, like, it's, it's my responsibility as a leader to be humble and to, and to listen to people. Now, I, I run this, like, line of, like, okay, we've got to, like, have a conviction of following the Holy Spirit, but I have, there's this revelation that the Holy Spirit speaks to everyone. And so, this transition that we are making and that we haven't, like, done hastily, like, as you know, as you've probably been with us, we've been, the last few years, we've been very slow to move things because we've been trying to follow down the path that God has for us. And some people could ask the question, well, did we really hear God in the first place? Let, let me answer that really quick. I do believe that we followed God in what he said. And I do believe we have followed him in every step of the journey. But like, even if we've missed things in our life, it's, it's certainly possible for us to, to miss things in life. And I'm completely comfortable with that. I don't have to assess. I don't have to. I'm not. I'm not worried about whether I've missed it in life. I don't. This is not something that worries me in anything. I'm not talking about clear path or business or whatever. I don't worry about if I've missed it. What I believe that God is concerned about is a heart posture in your life to obey Him. I've I've been using this visual analogy when I talk about this, but some of us who've grown up in a, in, a, um, in a world of learning to hear God, I believe one million percent hearing God, right? But some of us have grown up with this idea that God is this lock combination God, that if you get all the numbers exactly correct, it will open up everything perfectly for you. Like, and I don't believe that's what the stories of Scripture point us towards. I think the stories of Scripture point us toward peoples whose hearts are postured on obedience. Amen? And so, like, if you've ever walked through something in your life where you've made a decision because you felt like the Holy Spirit said, make this decision, and you go, like, you come to this, because it seems like so many people come to this point where they're confronted with the reality of, did I hear God or did I not hear God or did I follow God? Let me... Let me encourage you to not assume that you have all the answers or that you can have the, all the answers. But know that God is faithful to lead you. And that He sees you exactly where you are. The psalm that we read tonight says that He does not sleep on us. And I think sometimes we get the idea that God is sleeping on us. But He's constantly watching over us. Is constantly guiding us. Amen? Um, okay. Everybody good with that? If you have any questions, you can come. The silent hurrahs have been... Anyway. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> I heard somebody say finally. Um, I want to recap a little bit of the direction of Lent, especially pointing into our house church. Um, in Lent, we're focused on Jesus. I mean, I guess we're always focused on Jesus, but in Lent, we are specifically focused on Jesus because we are taking the gospel scriptures that come out of the lectionary that are read by many churches worldwide in, in different traditions and different um, you know, ways of worshiping. Um, and these are really key stories that help us see Jesus while He's on earth and that lead us to His death and resurrection. So, so understand this, that, that Jesus didn't just like do a few things and then die and raise again. Uh, in, um, it's, it's harder for us to see this because a, a lot of us don't navigate in all different kinds of church streams. But it's sometimes in the way that many of us have grown up, and I can say us because I'm a part of this us, we sort of have this like, there's a few, Jesus does some cool miracles, and then the big stuff happens. He, he, did, he did the thing on the cross, and he raised again. That's, you know. But I want you to see that his entire ministry on the earth, and his death, and his resurrection, and his ascension, and his giving of the Holy Spirit, all of these things are integrated and congruent in one path, and one message, and one work that he's doing. And so we, the reason we're taking this time is to examine these stories to see what Jesus is doing and to see who He is. Because these give us a picture of who He is. And when I mentioned this last week, and I'll probably mention this every single week, there's two things that Jesus is doing on the earth. He is always demonstrating what it looks like to be partnering with the work of God. He's demonstrating in that he's a model for you and me. How many of you can believe that part? And he's also accomplishing the work of God. And he goes to rest with the Father in heaven. And Hebrews says that he awaits for his enemies to be made a footstool. footstool. And so who, who gets to participate in that continued work? We do. And so he accomplishes work and he demonstrates what it looks like to be a part of the work of God, and we get to see these two facets in every story. We get to see the work he's doing and the work he's demonstrating. And so, I'm going to read to you John 3, 1 through 17. And just walk with me on this. It's a little bit of a long passage, and it's also like one of those passages that's like, okay, what? <laughs> but just... Just read that. Maybe read it if you if you if you like reading better. Like read with me, or just hear whatever you can do to focus on this. I, I want to invite you to focus on it. it. Says now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. 
Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wishes, wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will I, if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Jesus, as Moses lifted up in the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. That everyone believes may have eternal life in Him. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. How many like it there? All right. I want to give you a quick caveat what I'm going to share tonight. and I'm going to try to be a little bit more brief tonight. But what I'm talking, what, there are elements of what I'm going to talk to you about tonight that I believe, I genuinely believe, but, but I haven't, um, it's like one of the things that happened to me in my own journey of wrestling through my faith was that I, I realized that there was a lot of things that I was really, really certain about that I maybe didn't have enough weight in my thinking these things through to be certain about them. How many of you have ever encountered this before? You encounter this in pretty much every bit of knowledge in life, whether it's God, especially God. And so I'm, I'm going to talk to you about something that I believe, but that like... Like my my opinion could become more nuanced and alter a little bit with time, and I think it's really important for me to admit that to you when I'm when I'm teaching because I don't have everything figured out, and we very often make the mistake of being strongly opinionated things that we ha- about things that we haven't really fleshed out that much. How many of you have ever done this before? Me. I'm, I'm raising my hand. Um, it's like partially my job to have opinions about things. <laughs> so, um, but, but, I, but I just think it's important for us to recognize that we need to have a little bit more humility in our walk with God and our convictions about what's true And so this is not to mean I believe that we should have deep, deep, deep convictions. But I I also think those things that we articulate with deep conviction, we should have 
we should have sat with the Lord and sat with community and sat with scripture and sat with prayer and and on these things. And and so I mean with me. The the wheel is still spinning on some of this stuff for me. One one thing that actually uh we have the Henry Nowen devotional that we're going through, and he marks he marks this in his uh, devotional. But it's something I've always uh, observed with God, like something that I've always seen in Scripture, is that in the kingdom everything flows down, and you actually see that in the Scripture. It says, "No one has descended except for he who has ascended," and so in. Um, you know, when God meets Israel on Mount Sinai, He comes down. His glory comes down. When Jesus comes in the flesh, He comes down from heaven. When the Spirit is given us, the Scripture says the Spirit came down upon them. And finally, our final like resting place is we know that Jerusalem will descend from the heavens and, it, and the glory of God will cover the earth as the water will the sea. And so like, like there is this principle that no one can go up and ascend into the heavens and, you know, figure out what God's doing. Everything that God wants to make known to His people, He does by revealing it to His people. You cannot go get the knowledge of God. God reveals Himself to you. And so the best place to be if you want to walk in a deeper knowledge and understanding of what God's called you to is in the place of humility because everything comes down. Does that make sense? And so that's what I'm trying to do. In fact, I'll just make this final point and then I'll move on. Um, When we think that we have all the definitions about who God is, the things that are really, really, really definable don't provoke a lot of wonder in you. Like if you understand fully how something works like you don't get you don't like when my child is doing one plus one I like my brain is not like oh my gosh one plus one equals two what a new revelation because I it's like a concept I understand right and so there's a danger in us feeling like we can over define God because we remove the wonder of him like, there's wonder in his mystery. There's wonder in the fact that we can't define him. But let me give you this hope. You can know him. And those are different. It is different to be able to define God than to know him. And you can know him because he reveals himself to you. Alright? Okay, so I'm going to start on this scripture. This scripture, you could teach a year on the scripture. It's one of the most nuanced. There's so much going on here. Um, we won't do all that today. I want to start with what I know for sure. Like I'm going to like work out. And here's here's the end of the, the text. John 3, 16 through 17. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. How many of you have heard this one before? Okay, let's keep reading though. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. I don't understand why this is the case, but we did not have in our childhood or with our kids, we didn't memorize the next verse on that. And so we have this incredible picture of God saving work and eternal life. 
but we didn't get maybe as embedded into us the language that He has not come into this world to condemn it. And somehow we got this thing twisted in the gospel that Jesus, like partial message is, hey, I've just come to let you know I'm going to condemn you to hell. That is my message. <laughs> it sounds like good news, right? Mm. I could hang out there for a while, but we need to understand that God has not come to condemn this world. And when it says He hasn't come to condemn this world, it's not just talking about people. It's talking about the whole of His created order. He has not come to condemn this world. Alright, everybody with me? Alright, I'm going to start back at the beginning. We're going to read it and talk a little bit. John 3, 1-3, through it says, Now there is a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God. Watch what he says. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Okay. So here is Nicodemus. He is a teacher of the law. He's a Pharisee. He's, he's a part of the ruling council. These are the people that are working with the Roman government. And they're working with the Roman government to implement the Jewish customs and beliefs into the laws of the land so that everybody lives in unity and so everybody's okay. This is, what, this is his job. He is, he's a part of this group that kind of helps lay down the law. But he's, he's open, he's humble, he's like searching Jesus out. And he comes to him and he says, because this is a very Jewish thing to say, he says, like, we see that there are some signs and some things that you are doing, and so you have to be sent by God. And you're like, what in the world does that mean? Well, 1 Corinthians 1, it says this. It says that Jews demand signs, but Greeks look for wisdom. Jews demand signs, but Greeks look for wisdom. And so you have to understand that culturally... The way that, the way that uh, Jews would assess if somebody was a true prophet, the way that they would assess like what God was doing in seasons was they, they looked at signs. Like this is their culture. And even in the Old Testament, they would go and they would sacrifice the Lord and they would wait for signs. So they had the, this is getting real detailed, but remember the Uman and the Thuman. And they would, they would go, and they would put these things before the Lord and you know, it would be like, is it this or that? They would cast lots. They would do all sorts of things because they were, a, they were a culture that the way they determined what was right or wrong or good or bad or, or best for the season was through signs. While Greeks looked for wisdom. Out of the Greek culture, you emerged like philosophy, Aristotle, Plato, Epictetus, all these people, and you had these. And yet, look at what God does. If you read if you read the story of the early church, he comes and he uses signs to speak to the, his people, the, the Israelites, and he comes and he uses like this debate wisdom with Paul to speak to the Gentiles. Isn't that weird? 
Like God actually, the next verse in 1 Corinthians 1.22 says, but I just preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to, you know, to Jews and a, an offense to the Greeks. I can't remember exactly what it says. But what, he, but what he's saying is, like, these things are lesser ways. You're looking for a sign. You're looking for wisdom. The real truth is Christ crucified. Yet what he does is he comes to them at the level that they're at. And so he's speaking to them at, at their level. And so what does this matter? What is that? Why, is it, you know, why does that even matter at all? Well, like, it's because Nicodemus can see with his eyes that miracles are happening. He's like, you've got to be sent by God. And Jesus says to him something that's super profound. He's like, I can see with my eyes that miracles are happening. That means that you're... You're some legit guy. And yet Jesus says, for you to see the kingdom of God, you have to be born of the Spirit. He's like, you can't even see what I'm doing. You know what this means? It means that the kingdom of God is more than signs and miracles. This is such a peculiar response for Jesus because He's like, I can see that you're a prophet. Look at all these things. And he's like, you can't even see what I'm doing. Actually, it's kind of interesting. Jesus even says when he fed the 5,000, just think he, when he fed the 5,000, he says, you didn't, you didn't, I don't know the exact words. This is just coming off top. But he basically says, you didn't come back to me just because you encountered the kingdom. You came back because you ate the loaves and had your fill. He's like, you saw what was in the natural. You saw with your eyes the way that you perceive. And I'm telling you there's something more than what you can see. Are you with me? And so because Jesus is doing two things. He is simultaneously giving the Jews signs to prove that He's the Messiah. And He's also saying, the signs themselves will not allow you to see what I'm doing. You'll have to be born of the Spirit. He's affirming and demonstrating two things. He's affirming that we have to be people who are led by the Spirit. And what we are also those who are led, who are led in, we, we encounter the world in a material way. Okay, just hold with me the second thought. I'll start with the Jesus demonstrates a life led by the Spirit. So, John 3, 3 through 8. I'm going to keep reading. It says this Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, you who. You one who can see the kingdom of God, or no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can, how can someone be born again if, when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows, this is Jesus' talk here. (laughs) 
The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So I've got to give you a little background. I've mentioned this before. I went to this school called Dallas Christian. It was a Church of Christ uh, school. And how many of you ever encountered Church of Christ beliefs? And so anyway, like, you know, there's all sorts of peculiar beliefs, like, uh, like you don't have instruments in the church. And Zane grew up in the same school, and he tells me the story of him arguing with one of his best friends whether him clapping was sin and, you know, maybe going to send him to hell or something. You know, it's kind of like just silly beliefs. The other thing that Church of Christ believe they have a high value for baptism, which I, which I agree with, thankful for, but they also had this view of baptism like you couldn't have a relationship with God unless you got in that physical water and got dunked. And so this is one of the scriptures that they actually point to. They're like, unless you can be born of the water and the Spirit, you can't be born again. Let me just tell you, that is not at all what the scripture is talking about. Like, it's talking about those who are born of the water, like out of the womb, and those who are born of the Spirit. Like, the, so that, that's, what this, that's what the Scripture is talking about. But, wh- like, but there's more implications to that. And so, like, what does this verse really mean? Loosely, like, you know, what I believe is that we have to be full of, of the Holy Spirit. We have to be indwelled with the Holy Spirit to do and to walk in what God has intended for us in the earth. That, that's what I believe. So if you go back to the creation narrative, when God creates the heaven and the earth, how many of you, you know, remember reading through the days? When He comes to man, it says that He does, this is what He does, is that He takes from the dust of the earth, and he forms man. And then he breathes the word ra, which is the word spirit in Hebrew. He breathes life into man. And so from the very beginning of God's created design, you have two things that make up his created being. You have the dirt of the earth. And you have the spirit or the breath of God. And it's because that the dirt is what is created. It's that which is not eternal. I mean, you know, dirt, dirt came into being when God spoke it. And like, it like God created the earth. But His Spirit is what? It's eternal. And so we, like, when we are operating in the fullest way that God has of us, we are both dirt and spirit. We are that which is created and we are indwelled, which is that has been before the dawn of time. And God has called us to walk in both of those ways. This is what Jesus actually, like Jesus, if you look at the story of Jesus, it says that He is the one and only what? begotten Son. And so Jesus is simultaneously pre-existing before the foundations of the earth and begotten, which means like created, birthed. And so Jesus shows us what it means to be fully human, which what it means to be fully human is that the Spirit, 
that is eternal is full in us. Yet we are also that which is flesh and blood and material and created. Do you see what I'm saying? You are both dirt and you're, you're, you're the dirt of the earth. And yet the Spirit of God lives in you. When Jesus says to old Nick, I'm going to call him Nick because that's easier. He says, you see the signs. You see the miracles. But to see the kingdom of God, you must be born of the Spirit. He is inviting him to see that what he is up to is not merely natural. Like he is not coming and just doing things that can be seen by the natural eye. He is doing things that those who are born of the Spirit can see. I love one of the first uh, stories in the Bible that I love to preach was the paralytic. There's a couple reasons I love the paralytic. It's the first time of Jesus actually forgiving someone. But he's, he really, it really, I feel like the paralytic makes the whole gospel so clear. He, he, uh, he tells the paralytic who's lower down through the roof, he says, he says, your sins are forgiven. Right? You know what I'm talking about? I guess something happened. <laughs> we, we, God's always talking to multiple ones here. And um, so when the, when the paralytic comes down, Jesus says to him, your sins are forgiven. And how many of you know what that did to the Pharisees? It ticked them off, man. They're like, no way, dude. And the problem with forgiveness is that it's an invisible thing, right? You can't see forgiveness manifest on somebody. I've seen people cry and weep and weight be lifted off them, but it's not like this like quarter comes down from heaven. Forgiveness is now offered to you. He says, your sins are forgiven. Now, I guarantee you a lot of doubt in the room when he says that. And then he makes a second statement. He said, what's harder? For me to tell him to get up and walk or to say your sins are forgiven? And I mean, Jesus talking, you don't answer. <laughs> Rhetorical questions. And then he says, so that you know that the Son of Man has power to forgive, get up and walk. Do you see what the visible does? Is the visible points to the invisible reality. Jesus heals so that we can see that He's up to something bigger than just this man's physical healing. That's what He says. So Hebrews says that everything on earth is a copy, type, and shadow pointing to that which is real. Hebrews 11.3 says that all things that are visible are made out of those things that are invisible because God is coming on this earth to Jesus is coming on this earth to demonstrate that He is doing something that you can only see if you become born of the Spirit. But there's breadcrumbs of His revelation that's in everything that He's doing. It's like every time He heals somebody, it's begging them to go, what is this man up to? And yet he says, it's more than some signs. You bunch of Hebrews. 
I'm up to more than what you think I'm up to. So Jesus is simultaneously uncreated, existing, and, and begotten. So this is like what Jesus is inviting him is a new way of existing. So here's, like, what does that way look like? John 3, 8 says this, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from, where it's going. So it is with everyone who's born in the Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. That makes it so much clearer. Now we know exactly what it looks like. I don't know about you, but that verse leaves me with still some questions. Here's what I can tell you, is that the way of following the Spirit, if we are going to follow in Jesus' demonstration, the way of being a people led by the Spirit is a way that is very unpredictable. It is very, very unpredictable. And a basic litmus test of if you are living a life that is led by the Spirit is are you doing any things that might be looking like wind that you don't know where it's going or where it's coming to? Right? Like, if you are following God and following the Spirit, there are times that you are doing things that don't make any sense in the natural realm. They make no sense. It's like, i got to make this decision. I remember the Lord this year, last year, there's nothing that is more real to us than money, right? And the Lord this last year, after we you know, bought a new home and added a whole bunch of other expenses, was like, hey, I want you to let go of this income that's super secure and easy for you to get. Okay. <laughs> there was no real wisdom in the natural for me doing that, but it was what God was leading in me to by the Spirit. If we are going to be people who function in God's created design, we will have to be those who are led by the Spirit. We from the foundations of the earth were those who were created by dirt, but, by dirt, but we had the breath of God breathed in us. And if you are not living out of the breath of God, you are not living out of your created design. God, the scripture says that God uses foolish things to confound the wise. God has you do things that make no sense. They, you know, it doesn't mean that everything that makes no sense is God. Because <laughs> some things just make no sense. I've been a fool before doing things that make no sense, not because God led me to, but just because I was being foolish. Right? And so, man, like, being led of the Spirit is like, you know, like, the story, and this is not like a self-glorifying story, I just, this is just a story that popped into my mind. I, I, I was driving down the road with some friend, and I was like, we were driving down the road, and I was like, Stop the car. And he was like, okay. I jumped out of the car. I started running down the block. And then I encountered, I run into this guy. And I like, we start ministering to this guy. And it turns into this all day encounter. And it actually turns into a few months of ministry with this person. But my friend was like, what the, where did he go? Like, <laughs> he just, we just stopped the car and just jumped out of the car. No explanation. And like, that was the time that I can think of off my head that's most like being led of the Spirit 
it's just like, boom, I've got to, I've got to go do this, like right now. How many of you have done some, you know, you, 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 God's led you, like you've had to step out and pray for people. You've had to, like, do, you've had to make a business decision. This is encompassing all areas of life. If you live on natural wisdom for your whole life, you are missing the most significant facet of how God wants to work in you, which is the wisdom that exceeds all wisdom. Amen? I want to talk to you about a second. In fact, before I move on, at the beginning of this year, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, this is going to be a year where you emphasize, and this is the language I heard, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, we have lots of connotations and ideas of what that means based on if you grew up in a church like mine, you know, like you might have an idea. But the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, this is a year I'm going to baptize people in my spirit. And I believe that. I, I believe that. And so it's in my heart to emphasize this. And I just want us to just like buckle up and be ready for God to baptize us in His Spirit. And that is the life that He's called us to live. Is a life totally immersed, drowning in the Spirit of God where there is no life raft that can get you out. That's the kind of life I want to live. I want to be drowning. Okay, so I want to push on to the next part. Jesus demonstrates for us. Remember, he's demonstrating and accomplishing always. He also demonstrates for us a life in, hold your seats for a second, a life in the flesh. We don't think about this part very often. We are born of both dirt and spirit. Or as Jesus says here, we're born of water and spirit. Born of that which is natural and that which is spirit. You know, these two things, it's like they represent that which is deposited in us that is divine and that which is God's creation. I... I uh, One of the mistakes that we've made is that we've treated the material world as if somehow it were evil. We've treated it as somehow it's evil. In, in the early church, that there was this uh, movement that arose that probably many of you have heard of called Gnosticism. And there is this, uh, there was this theology that emerged from Gnosticism which is dualism. Now, dualism has many different facets to it, but the, the, I meant to get this picture for tonight. But how many of you have ever seen that picture circulating Facebook where you got like Jesus and Satan doing the, doing the arm, you know, the arm wrestling? That's the worst theology that's ever been created in a picture. Forgive me if you posted that picture. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm here to tell you like, what dualism, so let me take you back. This was refuted as heresy in the early church. What dualism is in its extreme, it is the belief, first of all, that there is this good reality that's God and that there's this evil reality, which is like the enemy, and that the evil is just as powerful as the good. And that there's this, I mean, I believe that we've been born in a war. I believe all that. But some of us think, we basically think that like, 
we are just like in this battle and like, you know, it's so hard and that Jesus is going to eke out a win at the last second with creation. Or like other people, like, I don't want to get ahead of myself here. Um, yeah, there's this, there's this whole like understanding and it's not just that, it's also the, another implication of dualism is that the spiritual world is perfect and that the material world is evil. This is wrong. <laughs> no other explanation needed. Who created this world? God created this world. What does John 3.17 tell us? He did not come to condemn the world, but He came to, to save it. Like this, what is created, what is substance, what you see, this matters to God. Now it is that which is created. It's not that which was like Spirit eternally, Holy Spirit eternally exists before creation. And so it does, like the, the Holy Spirit is obviously greater. God is greater than His creation, right? So there is a greater reality, but that doesn't mean that this is an evil reality. It means that there's evil and brokenness here. But God didn't come to condemn the world. He came to redeem the world. He came to save the world. Like, so what does that mean now? What does that mean? That means that we are called to take care of the temple, which is our body. Right? That's an implication. Like you actually, God actually wants to take care, you to take care of this thing. Like at a practical level, that means like eating and staying healthy and staying active and, and staying mindful of this body. And I, I can't tell you how many people that I know that can pray Pray eight hours till they're blue in the face. But God actually wants to do some emotional health healing that's physiological in the brain and in, in the other parts of their life. Not just give them eight hour prayer times. How many of you have met people that are as deep as an ocean spiritually but are f- full of all sorts of physical issues whether they're emotional or just like physical obvious issues? Like, this is, this is what I would call disintegration. Jesus did not just come to give us the Holy Spirit. He came to redeem His creation. We have to take care of what we have. You know what else it means? And I'm not making a political point. Don't read into this. It means that we have to take care of the earth and the world that we have. Like we have to, like this is the one, like God put us in a garden as stewards of His creation and we're responsible for it. And we seem to overlook that the Hebrews were instructed to let the land rest every seven years. Like they were actually instructed to do things that would, that would let the creation of God breathe and enter into the Sabbath that He had, he had designed from the foundation of the earth. There is this really, really bad eschatology that has emerged over the last couple hundred years. By eschatology, I just mean like the way things are going to end up. Sometimes I hate using those words because it's just end times. And the end times is 
is this thought, I know that you guys are familiar with this, but it's this thought that like, like everything's going to go to hell in a handbasket. It's going to be bad. And there's going to be signs. And there's going to be all this stuff. And it's going to be so bad. And evil's just going to cover the earth. And God's going to just snatch us right up at the last minute. Because <laughs> do you realize the picture that says of God? It says that He's defeated in His creation. He is not coming to destroy His creation. He's coming to heal it. He's coming to make it whole. You know what I believe is going to happen? I believe that Jesus' people, over however long we live on this life, we're going to have suffering. We're going to have that kind of stuff. Like That is going to be a reality. But over generations and generations and generations, we are going to see the redemptive, restorative work of God played out. We will have hope of a greater than what we're encountering. There's been numerous times in my life, I've told the story many times, that I realized that I was praying, My, uh, I realized that all of the most core values in my life were things that my great-grandmother, who I never met, was praying every day. I, I, I read the psalm one day, and I started weeping. And weeping because I realized what she was praying was at work in me. And so we have this hope. The hope we have is that Jesus is returning. That his glory is expanding. And that even, even as we get as things are undone in our own lives, prayers are continuing generationally. That, like God's work is not done. I don't know how long those prayers go back. But I've realized at times that I'm living in prayers of somebody behind me. And somebody ahead of you may be living in your prayers. We have to have a picture that God has called us to steward that which is created. We cannot have this picture that this created world is evil, broken, and that God's going to finally do away with it. No, it says that He's going to recreate the heavens and the earth. New heavens and new earth. The same way that our bodies are transformed. He will transform His whole creation. Like Jesus didn't just die a like a spiritual death. He died a physical death because He's redeeming this world. Why would He come and heal sickness in people's physical bodies if this world didn't matter? What He said about the paralytic, it's like, I'm doing these things so that you can see what I'm up to. And if you really want to see what I'm up to, you've got to be full of the Spirit. But being full of the Spirit does not mean that you, that your flesh, that your body, that that now... Do, that doesn't matter. We have got to get a better idea of what it means like to care for our neighbors. To care for those that we don't understand. To step into other people's suffering. To like 
see like God as doing a bigger work than what we are just seeing. God is not, his goal is not just a Ryan Hart, Reinhardt Bonnke crusade where a bunch of people pray a prayer and escape this thing. His plan is to restore us to created value. So here's what Jesus taught us. I, I love this about Jesus. He taught us what it means to be fully human. And fully led by the Spirit. So God wants you not only to be fully led by the Spirit, He wants you to be fully human. He wants to heal this part of you and this part of you. He wants to heal the physical world around you and these things matter to Him. I, I could I promise you somebody smarter than me could preach a year on this this text right here. There's so much going on here, and I would encourage you to go read it because we're going to talk about it in house church at least a little bit more. Um, but I want you to know that there's something here for every person that Jesus has demonstrated. He wants us to be led by the Spirit, and He wants us to be people who care about what is what we can see with our eyes. Like this realm is inferior. This, the material is inferior to the Holy Spirit. I'm comfortable saying that. Some people aren't comfortable saying that, but I'm comfortable saying that the Holy Spirit that existed since before the foundations of the earth, that is what is the most superior reality, God himself. But, he, but this world still has his fingerprints all over it. Okay. Um, okay. Let me just stand. Here's the picture. Here's the picture that I'm remembering. Remembering Jesus in the in the moment where he fed the five thousand, he it says that he had his eyes on the people and that he was with compassion. Like he saw the fact that their tummy was grumbling a little bit, and that's what he had compassion. I mean, he's like they're sheep, you know, like led without a shepherd. But he's like he had compassion on them. What did he do with the compassion? He fed them. Super basic thing, right? He, he fed them because of seeing them where they are. The next thing it says when he took the bread and the fish, it says that he looked to heaven. And so the way that we live, I think, that's most integrated, that's most healthy, that's most kingdom, is that we, is that we see God, that our eyes are fixed on him, and that our eyes secondarily to being fixed on him is that we see where people are at in the in the real world.
We see where issues are in the real world. And we, we observe them and that we hand those things to our Father. And we live in this flow of loving Him and loving others and seeing others. And so I just, I want to invite us to just close our eyes and just ask the Holy Spirit. Let's open our, open our hands and let's just ask this simple prayer. God, let, the, let this be our year that you baptize us in your spirit. Let's just pray that. And also we have some really good cool encounters, but so that it transforms the way that we interact with the world. God, right now, I just ask with every person in this room, I ask you that you, Holy Spirit, would come and baptize us this year that you would make us immersed in your spirit, that we would not be satisfied with less than, God, but that we would hunger for fullness, God. We would hunger for the fullness of your spirit being given and poured out for us. I pray that there would be a weighty glory that would be deposited upon the people in this place because the glory has been deposited within us. God, let, let you just expand our participation with your Spirit. Let us know what it means to be alive to your Spirit and fully human as Jesus is and was. And I pray that you would rid us of these thinking, this thinking of, of dualism, that, that somehow that this world you created is, is, is just evil. God, let us see the goodness that's in your creation. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Is somebody doing? Okay. That was good. I just had the thought that, you know, in the, in the, the account of the burning bush, when God speaks to Abraham, I mean, sorry, Moses, he says, what's in your hand? And it's that idea of God using this created, this staff, and maybe it was just a stick that he picked up that day. I doubt it. It was probably one that he'd had for a while and maybe carved the story of his family on, but it still was a created thing that he had even taken part in the creation of it, at least we can probably agree that he cut it. <laughs> but it was this idea of, of taking the created and, and God using that in a spiritual way. And I think that's what God... And you, you even see that in Jesus' life and ministry. Like he was the master at this. Like if he was walking by a field talking about seeds. If he was, you know... And I think that's, that's part of what this is about. It's him making a connection again with something you can hold and touch and smell and taste to something that's spiritual that you can't explain that happens. So I want you to just contemplate that as you come and let your senses pick up a piece of cracker and a cup of juice. Come on.
We, we call this communion in the churches that most of us grew up in. And somehow eating this bread and drinking this, drinking from this cup allows us or becomes a catalyst for us communing with the God who created everything we see. It's just, it's amazing. Father, we are thankful that you did not send your son into this world to condemn it. You did not send your son into our lives to condemn it, to, to condemn us. Each of us has a story of a moment where we encountered you and your love. For most of us, it may have been at a really low point. And you weren't pointing your finger. You weren't shaking your head. Your face wasn't full of disgust. In fact, we saw the opposite. We saw open arms. We saw a face full of compassion. Thank you that you invite us in to commune with you, to live and breathe and move with you. And thank you for this symbol that we can taste, see, touch, and smell to remind us of what you went through to enable that, to, to purchase that right, to redeem us back. We bless you, Father, for giving your Son. We bless you, Jesus, for walking down that road that led to, the, to Golgotha. And we thank you that it didn't end there and that it's continuing on in us. In Jesus' name, let's eat together and drink together. Thank you, Lord. We have a couple of announcements tonight. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> this Wednesday night, we have house church at 7 o'clock. Uh, we have two locations for you guys. Um, there's one in Rowlett, one in Dallas. Do you guys have that little graphic from last week? Just so people have the address. <laughs> All right, I think that's all the announcements that we have. So you guys be blessed this week. We love you. You are dismissed.